So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. Hello to everyone watching this on YouTube and uh, hello to everyone listening on the podcast. Yeah, we're, we're diversifying. Yeah. How good is that? Yeah, welcome back. So uh, this week we had a fun episode with our friend Kate Sevilla. Yes, it's a super good episode. I think it was really nice kind of talking about ways to network, different ways that a career can go rather than just having a, like going straight and doing something freelance, having a job, having a career and going across like lots of different industries, learning your kind of trade and then going freelance after that. There is no correct answer. You can Absolutely. have a job. If it makes you happy, stay in that job. As soon as it doesn't make you happy anymore, maybe you should try something else. And what you will find is... The different jobs that you do are going to give you different skills as as you move forward. Yeah. So even for me, I've worked some terrible jobs, but they still gave me a lot of skills that I bring forward. So for example, one thing that I learned when I was selling mobile phones, which was a job I absolutely hated, but but I've spoken about this in yeah. our business. It's a it's a tactic that we use. When I was selling mobile phones, what they would say is don't give the customer one price and then give them another price later. So don't say, oh, this is going to be £50 a month plus £5 insurance, which is £55 a month. You've got to give them, you say, this is going to be £55 a month plus you get free insurance. Yeah, like if you had a photography business and you're like, okay, well, a shoot's going to cost you say a wedding shoot's going to cost you £2,000. So like, okay, great, £2,000. And then, oh, and actually, if you want additional if you want me to work these extra hours to work do the evening as well that's going to cost this much too and then if you want this printed in the book that's going to cost this much and if you want them on a digital file that's going to cost this much as well it's just like it suddenly becomes like well i thought i was going to pay two grand for this and now it's costing me five grand for these additional extras that i thought would have been included in the price initially yes unless you give them a price list where they can pick and choose the the bits that, yeah. that they want which is which is absolutely fine um but clients do get scared if they have in their head one price and then all of a sudden it changes and it becomes more expensive yeah. so that's something and i learned that working in retail um other things that i've i've taken from other jobs um how to how to deal with um the public like dealing with customers all of that sort of stuff all learned from retail and i think being part of a team is really important you learn yeah. that in different jobs that you do so even if you're in a job that you absolutely hate that you think is a waste of your time it's not a waste of your time if you can do it to the best of your ability yeah there's there's probably something that you can gain from it that when moving forward they might be skills that you don't even realize that you've gained um but so never despair wherever you are. You can always change. You can always grow. And even if it feels like you might be in a bit of a dead end, um, those skills are going to be valuable moving forward. Yeah. And I think if you are in that position as well and you're not in a position to leave a job, try and like speak to your manager, speak to someone and find out new skills that you can learn within the company. A lot of places will have training schemes. Or if you say, I'm really keen to learn this, they'll help you learn, which is great. Like use your job to learn. Absolutely. We always talk about leveraging 
where you are right now if it is possible um to to forward your career and that could be through the connections you make it could be through time if you're lucky enough to be sat in a cubicle and no one checks up on you and you could be working on your side hustle whatever don't get yourself in trouble but whatever you can get away with always try and leverage um to be getting towards your goals and really in this episode you could see through kate's journey as she's gone through these these different posts that everything has been leading her to get to where she is today and each each kind of opportunity begets the next one yeah yeah it's a really interesting story because like she started working freelance and then it, that didn't work for her she had a full career in like the journalism world following that and then it got to a stage where now she's gone freelance again and she can take all the skills and connections she's made during that period and like make a full-time living out of it Kate Sevilla is a journalist, an editor, and an editorial consultant. Kate's one of the most experienced and respected figures in online publishing. She was editor-in-chief at The Pool. She's worked at BuzzFeed in the UK when they were just kind of setting up over here. And she's had editorial roles at both Google and Microsoft, as well as a brief stint at Jeremy Clarkson's driving company, whatever, (laughs) whatever that was. We really enjoyed this episode and we really hope you do too. In this episode, we talk about networking, Jeremy Clarkson, and the reality of going freelance. When you hear a lot of these stories of, and then I just decided to launch my own company, that people aren't honest about what that actually looks like, and the fact that a lot of them are like funded like by their parents or whatever. But like, crucially, the sort of the messy parts in between, like this year has been incredibly fucking messy for me. Hi, Kate. Hi. Thanks for doing our podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. You've written for like every publication under the sun, and yet you've only ever written online, never for print. Yeah, not once for a print magazine. Is there anyone else who can claim that? That's quite impressive. Probably anyone under the age of like 30. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I just, that's just never, that's never happened. I've always like written for the the digital version, the website for Stylist or L, just never, never in print. Maybe one day. Have you, have you wanted to? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. It's just there, there is that special thing about seeing it, it printed out. Um, yeah, that will send be, a copy to your mom. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's never, just never happened for me. Maybe one day in the future. I think you've got such a you've got such a portfolio that if you wanted that to happen, you've just got to put it down in your goals list. I re- like yeah. easily you could. Make I guess that I'm happen. just not that bothered. Yeah. <laughs> in reality, um, yeah, I think it's just I I think I know the digital editors for things and yeah yeah my um my freelance career because uh, I was freelance for a, a while when I first kind of moved over here and got started. And then worked for a bunch of people and then now have just gone back to freelancing uh, this year. So I haven't, I've never been like pitch, 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 like try to like get it wherever I can. You know, I've always uh, been a bit more, mm, I don't know. I think I've just always been like, okay, I know these people. I know that this will get read by more people and my peers read things online. Yeah. So. Yeah, if you've got your target demographic, then they're not going to be picking up a print copy of something if that's the people that you want to reach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That is the exact reason why we wanted to get you on, actually, because your journey has been really interesting in that being freelance, 
then going traditional nine to five mm. and then going back freelance again. Yeah. So when you first came over, can we tell the story of like when you first came over to of the UK? Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, God, okay. So I moved, well, I, I met a boy on MySpace in 2005, um, and, which, you know, I didn't do on purpose. I wasn't like, I'm going to try to find a British husband. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> My life is like logistically awkward as possible. Yeah. How can I make this really expensive? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I met my, my now husband um, on MySpace way back when, back when it was cool. And uh, I mean, actually it wasn't cool, but it felt cool to me. And so I moved here in April 2006 and uh, couldn't work for the first six months that I lived here. Um, and so I was like, right. Okay. Before I was working at Starbucks and I watched a lot of sex in the city and was like, I think I'm going to be a writer. Um, cause I, I, you know, at Starbucks, I actually, I had a pretty good job there. And for a while I, I really enjoyed it and was like, I'm good at this. Like I used to describe myself as being like Howard Schultz's wet dream because like I was such I was such an asshole to work for. Like, I was very strict on the rules. Like, no white on your shoes are meant to be all black. Like, those are the things that I cared about. And then I went to therapy and was like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, this isn't what I actually care about. I want to be a writer. Um, so it just kind of worked out that, okay, moving over here, conveniently can't work. Um, so why don't I try, you know, the whole writing thing? And I thought at first that I would, like, write a book and, like, what the fuck did I have to say? I'm like <laughs> 20 years old being like, well, I moved here and that's been my life story thus far, you know? Um, so instead I, there was this blogging community called Vox and, um, I had a blog on there and I just kind of wrote about my life moving over here. And I had like just discovered feminism. So I was like really obsessed and probably like, you know, like when people first go to university and they like discover things, Yeah, that was basically me. I was very obnoxious. Um, but I get it though. You at that time in your life, you you sort of you find out about things, and you're like, "Why is no one else talking, guys? Did yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> did what, you know about why sexism? Is, yeah. Why is this? Why, why is everyone not like?" And and then I guess as you get older, just that sort of apathy of of everyone else washes over you, and and that sort of like we're not ever going to change anything. If we do, it's just going to be gradual, incremental changes that appear, like occur over a, a short period, like a long period of time. Whereas like at 20, you're just like, what What the fuck? We all need to put this into action must now. must care mm. about this thing. Yeah, I was just like very into it and it was very new to me. Um, and so I was writing a lot about that um, and getting married because I got married when I was 21 years old because visas. visas. <laughs> yeah. And also true love, but also visas. Um, yeah, so I had this blog and was just like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Because I was like, when the six months is up, like, am I going to have to go down to like office angels and get a temp job? And then thankfully there was a blog publishing company company in the UK called Shiny Media. And so they were like the first ones to kind of look at what Gawker was doing in New York and try mm -hmm. to replicate that in London. Uh, I don't think they achieved that because it went, you know, it went very badly, actually. <laughs> like, well, I mean, so it, did Gawker, so. <laughs> I mean, right. But um, yeah, so I, uh, I got a job there. And so that kind of, because they read my blog on Vox. Um, so I got a job. Um, I used to edit a website called Dolly Mix. Strapline was something like... Uh, food for your lady brains or something like ooh, it was, yeah it felt super cool at the time <laughs> so um I edited that and that was kind of how I kind of 
got started. I mean, now looking back at it, I'm like, I had no business like writing or editing a website when I had never really done that before. But I guess how else? I mean, we yeah. probably had like a readership of four people. Starts, so yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so that was kind of how I got started in digital publishing over here. Um, and then kind of went on to, to run my own online magazine because I was just like, you know, I feel like I can do this maybe better for myself. Um, so that was called Bitch Buzz. And it was kind of like the first online magazine that was real, like had feminism kind of running throughout all the different things that we talked about. So we talked about news, we talked about technology, um, sex, relationships, fashion, and the whole kind of concept was just like, we called ourselves like the Honest Woman's Magazine. Because it was like, we can care about more than one thing. And magazines is particularly in that time period were not all of them were shit but a lot of them were pretty shit and it was there was that real kickback against uh, traditional women's media and so that was the kind of thing that we were harboring and that sort of feeling and that energy um, and we were kind of the first people to really do that in the UK I think there were just like a few other websites like that did you start that yourself or were you with yeah yeah so I I was the the founder and editor and found a team found Hired a team of people um, that lived in San Francisco and and in London. So we were kind of had like a, a nice like global presence, um, different time zones. And my my husband worked on it with me. So he built like we built a, a bespoke CMS and people were like, why aren't you using WordPress? And we're like, well, no, because we can actually do more if, if we build it ourselves. Um, so I did that for almost five years, so four and a half years. And yeah, I, I really loved doing that, but it just kind of got to the point where I was like, it'd be cool if I like had money <laughs> <laughs> because it, I mean, it was just a completely different landscape when we first started that because there weren't that many sort of online magazines for mm -hmm. women. Um, there were a lot of feminist blogs, but it was just completely different and you know, what happened kind of online and with social media from 2008 to 2013, the market had completely changed. Um, people were much more aware of things like intersectionality and making sure that there was a lot better representation and that, you know, feminism isn't just for middle-class white ladies. Mm -hmm. um, so I just kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't feel like it's super necessary for us to exist. Also, I need money. Also, it's really hard to make money. I mean, even, even now, publishers are really struggling. Yeah. Um, and we did pretty well for launching in 2008, right after the recession started. Um, but yeah, I was like, okay, it's time to, time to join the real working world. How did you wrap it all up? Was it just kind of like a, hey guys, this is, this is it? Or did you have anything that kind of went from yeah. there? Um, it really was just kind of like... Okay, well, <laughs> I've yeah. decided that, you know, I think at that point we had like 20 something writers kind of spread across uh, the UK and uh, we couldn't pay anybody as well. But that was always the deal. It wasn't like we're going to exploit your you yeah. know, secret thoughts and feelings for clicks like it, that wasn't the vibe at all. It was really trying to give um, people a leg up in this industry. And OK, like, sure, I can't pay you, but this is. Uh, experience and they got to you know travel around and cover really interesting things and in fashion week and so yeah so basically at that point I was just like okay guys I can't do this anymore <laughs> I can't do this anymore um yeah it wasn't an easy decision 
But was, was the site bringing in enough for you to survive or were you working other jobs as well? I did so much stuff. <laughs> I did a lot of really weird projects. Um, I'm trying to think at that point, I did a lot of freelancing, um, places like Stylist. Basically, if anyone wanted to pay me to do anything, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Um, you want me to write this weird copy for like, I think I wrote like a guide to Ibiza and I'd never been there. Like I literally didn't even know what it was. And I was like, what is Ibiza? And I was like, Ibiza, what's that? Um, so I did like basically anything that anyone asked me to do for a bit of money. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yes, I will write that. Yes, I will cover that. Um, I was like in some like blogger calendar, um, towards the end of my time at, Bitch Buzz, I worked for Vary.co.uk. Like, my face was, like, in the Littlewoods catalogs, like, recommending digital cameras. I was, like, in an advert with Fern Cotton. <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> like, it was a lot of fun. But, like, when so I tell people that now. to send your mom? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I was in the Littlewoods catalog. Thanks. Yeah. My little face giving weird recommendations for <laughs> things I actually didn't know that much about. Um yeah, so... Uh, I mean, such a great foundation because there, there's nothing like running your own business and everything that you will have learned from that. It's a, probably a lot of that's fueling you now, now that you've jumped back into being freelance again. Yeah, it was... I mean, I didn't go to university. So really, that was my, like, christening of fire mm. <laughs> with digital media. And it was a really kind of exciting time in London. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that's kind of around specifically this area with like Silicon Roundabout and everything, like a lot of this stuff just wasn't here. A lot of these startups just didn't exist. It was like a really uh, exciting time. People over here were like super obsessed with Silicon Valley. And I kind of somehow ended up like on the fringes of the sort of like entrepreneur tech startup scene here. Um, And it was a lot of fun because I learned a lot and I kind of approached my publishing business my my website with you know I'm married to somebody who works in tech still and was a developer and so I had this really nice sort of at home learning a lot about coding and how does the internet actually work and how do you actually build a website and like my experience with HTML existed like from MySpace like trying to like edit with like templates um so having a proper sort of uh some form of education in that and kind of marrying that with what I was kind of hearing about what it's like to run a startup and what it actually means to run a business. It was just kind of a really exciting time. So that kind of gave me a really nice foundation for understanding kind of, uh, business as a whole, but not kind of falling into the same mistakes that your traditional publishers make. Um, I mean, obviously I didn't make that much money, but that was because, you know, it was basically just me working on it full time and having basically volunteer writers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it meant that we still had a really interesting product. So the stuff that I learned, I mean, that time period, I mean, we were approached at one point by like Dennis Publishing, like they had some scheme where they had like a million pounds to spread across like different smaller blogs that they would buy. So I had to like write a business proposal, which I had never done before. And I like went to, I think, uh, not Barnes and Noble foils or something and Mm. like bought like a, this is how to write a business proposal book and did that and pitched to them and we didn't get it, but it meant that like I knew how to do that and I could apply that to projects that I would do, uh, in the future. So I learned a lot in that time period. And I particularly learned a lot about, uh, 
saying yes to things. And I used to go and network all the time. I'd go to all of these like Twitter meetups and Twestival and, and all of that stuff. And, and now I'm like, Oh God, I have to go to people <laughs> in real life. But like, I used to go with the goal, like, okay, I'm going to go to this networking event and I want to talk to that person. Um, and that'd be really exciting. I really used to enjoy doing that. I don't so much now. <laughs> that's a, that's a really good way to go about it actually. And not something that I've thought of before that actually having a specific person in mind, because the way, because I've done a lot of writing about networking and sort of how we advise our audience to to go about it. And I, what I pretty much always write is that like, it's always a gamble and it's just a numbers game and just go to as many networking events as you can because, and make friends before you need them because they might not be useful now, but like you, if you can all help each other like and build a, a kind of network around you. But I've never really thought about, yeah, going specifically with someone in mind of that's the person that I want to talk to. That's good if you had that someone in mind and you could kind of pre-plan how you can provide some value to them rather than just going in and being like, oh, hi, I really want to work with you. And yeah. It's like the thing you said the other day about always have uh, have a question in yeah. mind. Um, for if you if there's people that you really idolize and really want to meet, always have a, the question that you would ask them in your head yeah. in case yeah. because at some point you will just bump into them yeah. in a train station or somewhere around it. Yeah, yeah. and like so I was saying, like I've been like there's been bands that I've met and I've really liked and I've been like, I really love you. Uh, you're good. Good album. Can't say. And then you just like <laughs> and then that's it. Whereas it's like if yeah. I'd have thought about it in advance, I could have been like. What's the best, best piece of advice you've ever been given? Which is a way more interesting question. Like, because they must hear, like, oh, I love you all the time. Yes. Whereas yeah. actually having a proper question from someone must be really nice to be on the receiving end of. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I read, I can't remember the name of the book. I think it's called How to Talk to Anyone. The author's first name is Leal. And my husband just happened to kind of have it, like, in his book collection. He's like, oh, yeah, and it's really interesting. And I read that. And one of, like, the like it's actually so useful because she talks a lot about like uh the what's in it for them what's in it for you and like if you're going to a networking thing like wearing something that people might want to ask you about so if you're wearing a t-shirt that has your business name on it or just like an interesting brooch like it gives something it gives people something to kind of connect to and talk about Mm -hmm. and there's an object that you can kind of discuss before you kind of go into the okay well what do you do what do you do but yeah, having having that question and and knowing okay, if I had you know if I had to give such and such my elevator pitch because we're actually in an elevator together and I wasn't expecting that to happen, yeah. like knowing what you would actually say to that person. So I I would say I was quite strategic in that sense, like not like in a false way, but just knowing like okay, that's the person that I want to talk to. I want to ask her if I can interview her or I want to see if maybe we could collaborate on a thing. Like knowing ahead of time, okay, she's going to be there. She said on Twitter that she's going to be there. And so then I'm going to go and I'll have my business cards ready and I know that she's friends with this person and so I will talk to that person and get them to introduce me. Like it, there, there is a lot of like strategy, I think, to that. And to go back to what you were saying about, you know, kind of building a network and even if they're not useful now like the people that I met in the the first mm, three four years that I moved here um particularly from Twitter um I'm still in contact with a lot of those people I'm still friends with some of those people and it does those relationships really matter so I think when people are just starting out it's really easy to be like self-care I'm not going out tonight or oh I'm awkward and I can't go to that thing 
Uh, those are all true. Social anxiety is a real thing, but also you might also just need to fucking suck it up and go and have and be sweaty and be nervous and just try to balance your canapes and your bottle of beer and your business cards and know the people that you want to talk to. Like those doing that, going home at the end of the night, knowing, oh, I met that person. Oh, I talked to that person. Oh, I did manage to tell this guy about my business. Like that makes you feel so good at the end of the day, I think definitely and I think like the confidence you'll get for the next time you enter and the next time like yeah. it'll slowly get easier for yourself mm-hmm. and those first few times are going to be awful it's like with anything that's new like you go into it thinking like I'm completely out of my depth here but then the more you do it you just go in and you're like oh it's completely fine and then yeah. you just walk in and you yeah. even you're like how why was I ever nervous to do this this is just like so simple yeah yeah, yeah. I I love networking now because I can dominate because I know exactly how to like I can just walk up to any group and it just doesn't phase me anymore but I think that came from just sheer desperation because when we first started it was like please someone pay attention to us so that was what forced us to actually go up to people and speak to them was because if we didn't then nothing's going to happen because we need people to get to get this vision off the ground and if we don't talk to people then that's not going to happen so just through going through those painful first meetings of actually having to force ourselves into it and getting into the right headspace and just literally sitting down and being like right okay five four three two one I'm someone else up do it and but now it's just yeah it's just so much easier yeah and I think that's where um I think having a a good understanding of like emotional intelligence and kind of basic psychology really comes in handy. Or if you've been in therapy, that comes in handy as well. <laughs> like I remember when I was going to meet um, Sarah Lacey. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's a fantastic journalist and author. Um, was really big in like the Silicon Valley scene um, and kind of took on the like CEO of Uber and stuff um, and on her website. Um, oh, was that um, due to them being like, was that like something to do with them not being good with their women employees? I believe so. And just kind of just, he was trash. And so yes. like, he like, I think hired like a investigator to like follow her or something. It was like a bad situation, yeah. but like, she is a, she's like, no joke. She's super serious, complete badass. And like 10 years ago, she was going to be in London and we were going to like have lunch or something. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so nervous. And I remember saying something to my aunt about it. And she was like, uh, just remember that she changes her tampon just like everyone else does. And I was like, that's true. That's very true. Um, and that kind of helped me go, Oh, right. We're all just people. And I think particularly now that I've been doing this for 12 years, um, over 12 years, but like knowing, okay, I was once that nervous, sweaty person that had to go up and talk to this person or ask this, what I deemed as being a very powerful, fancy lady to, to get lunch knowing that we've all been in that position and thinking of the people that were gracious with their time, said yes, got a coffee, um, and made time for me, um, really taught me a lesson in how to behave as you kind of get further along in your career. I think this happens a lot now to me when, when younger journalists, um, will want to get in touch and be like, hi, uh, I'd love to get coffee with you. For what? For why? And it's not to be rude, but it's like, and even for me, like I have to remember to do that when I'm emailing the editor of whoever, or, you know, you, you always have to think this person is really busy. They barely have any time. 
you're going to be lucky if you get to them and not their assistant instead. I mean, I don't know people who actually have assistants anymore, but if you do like, good for you, that's fantastic. (laughs) But like, if you get to that person, you want them, you want to make it easy for them to say yes. And what's in it for them? Like, just be, be upfront with what it is that you want and not pick your brains. That's not a thing. Everyone hates that. Like we need to kill off, pick your brains. Just no, that's free consultancy. That's not like, if you just say, look, hi, uh, I'm this person. This is what I do. I'm really interested in publishing a book. I know that you've published two. I would really love to speak to you about what it, what that process looks like and how I can get a literary agent or something along those lines. Just making it really easy for them to say yes and being upfront with what it is that you want. Yeah. Like, what is it that you want to pick their brains for exactly? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally get that position of... What we talk about quite often is, especially when you're freelancing and and when you've like when you've just left a job or you've just graduated or or you're you're just starting something out, we always talk about it being really cloudy, because it's like it's really unclear as to and there's all these doors and you've got to pick one and you don't really know and but firstly you can't find the door to begin with even and you it's don't just, even know where you are yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a really really confusing time and when you see someone who's doing what you'd love to be doing, I totally get that you, you'd be like, oh, I, I want to do that. And you just email them and be like, but then it's, it's so about you that put yourself on the other end of that and to receive that email. And it's just like, I, I'd love to help every single person that emails, but I, I just can't. Like, and that, that's kind of why this podcast started is from getting all of those emails. It's like, well, if we just put it in podcast form, then you can just go and listen to it and then yeah. and then you'll know. But it's like, because you do want to help people, but at the same time, you've got to be careful with your time because otherwise, like you said, free consultancy, that would just eat up days and days of your time and it's just not sustainable. I mean, one thing I do try to do, like back to the, the networking thing, is when, I, when I'm talking to sort of, especially someone younger who is like visibly nervous, is um, I say to them like, oh, who here would you like to talk to? And they go, oh, I'd love to talk to Kate, but she wouldn't want to talk to me. And then I will just go, I'll introduce you. And then they go, oh, no, 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 no. And like, and then I have to talk them into it for five minutes and go, look, like, Kate's just a person. Like, yeah. She changes her tampon just like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I'll start using that one. Yeah, no, yeah. I won't. Please do. No, I won't. I'm People will get mad. They'll be like, that's not organic. Use a diva cup. Like, it'll be like a whole thing. <laughs> Don't. I don't know what these words are. I know, I know. I just realized I'm like, like, I'm talking to two dudes. Like, <laughs> but yeah, don't say that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I th- I think it's and it's. I do always try and remind people that that yeah, it's just people. Um, yeah. So and it's all about the approach. It's you can send the cold email, but it's all about how to do that that email correctly and and like surprise us like send an email that we haven't had before that is not because as soon as you as you say I want to pick your brains you're then in that category and it just goes straight in the pile with all the other hundreds that have it because they're no different it's just a na- faceless screen that just says I want something from you can I have it please thank you bye and yeah. it just goes into the pile yeah and I think it's also like is that is is now the time 
is now the time that you want to talk to that your big person that you really admire yeah. and is is now the time for you to do that or do you think that maybe you should kind of save that sort of okay I'm going to try to talk to this person until you've set up your podcast and you want to ask if they can come on to it and I'm in my second season and I have this many downloads like is that better than the I want to be you can you yes. tell me how you got to be you yeah. like that's ugh. I don't want to be mean, but that's like really lazy as well. If it's just the, how did you get to do this? Like yeah. Google them. Like, did they write a book? Read their book. Like yeah. there's probably a lot of other uh, resources for your kind of basic question. Do you like, that's not the impression that you want to yeah. kind of give. We were talking about this recently, just in terms of like status and how people see other people. Yeah. And it's like, if you go to someone earlier on, if you've got one chance to meet someone and you go to them earlier on when you're just a fan and you go to them like, oh, I'm a massive fan, then it's like they're just going to see you a lot lower than them. But if you go to them or plan like, well, I'm going to meet this person in two years' time at this event or this place where we can be like on a level, then they're going to meet you and respect you because you're on a totally. similar level. And even if like you are, say, if one person's a huge CEO of some massive company and you're just getting started, if you approach them in a way that makes it seem like you're on a, a level that you can help each other out rather than just being like, oh, I'm a fan. Like, don't waste the opportunity. I think your point's yes. really good. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And like, I still have to remind myself of this. Like, I recently got to uh, be on a radio show with someone, an author that I really, really admire, um, two authors that I really admire. And I didn't know I was going to meet them until like the day before. And I was like, hot damn. Okay. And I was just like, okay uh, what am I, like, how am I going to play this? And I like had to like take my own advice and was like, okay, you do not get to be a fangirl. Mm -hmm. This is not your time. You can go like cry in the toilet about it afterwards, but you're going to have to be a big girl in this meeting. So when they walk in, you're going to treat them like any other guest. You're going to be totally fine about it. And you're not going to freak out. And I was glad that I took that stance because it meant that they felt comfortable and it kind of it didn't put me on the same level as them, but it certainly like kind of took the air out of any sort of like manic awkwardness of hierarchical who's who. Yeah. Do you know, like it just kind of everyone was calm, everyone was cool, and it meant that they were comfortable, I was comfortable. Because I cannot imagine how uncomfortable that must feel when people are like freaking out because you they're just in the same room as you. Yeah. I think that that's very stressful, particularly in a radio situation. And you sense it, don't you? Oh yeah. You and you can pick up on their nervous energy, mm -hmm. and so. I think, I mean, we've certainly had it at events when you can tell when someone's really nervous to come over and speak to us. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. You've just got, you've just got to kind of like take some time, like lower, lower your breath and just, and be confident because confidence yeah. is so contagious. If, if they come over to you and they're, they like, they may be whatever, not like if we're talking on terms of status, which is all bullshit and culturally like yeah. invented anyway. But, but if someone is on this pedestal that everyone's putting them on, but you are confident in what you do, then you can meet them in the same place. Mm -hmm. And I, th and I think that there's obviously like really great leaders. Um, I mean, obviously controversial figure, but like Bill Clinton is, is like notoriously famous for yeah. being able to like put and and will smith will remember your name if yeah. he met you once he'll remember it in three years time he'll be like oh you're you and just that that ability to to be with people and put them at ease if you are the one being approached is a really good skill to to sort of develop and have 
Yeah, absolutely. I think and coming back to like emotional intelligence and being able to read a room and know just from reading someone's body language is now the time for me to come up and speak yeah. to you. Like the time it's kind of like when you wanted to ask your parents something and you really kind of had like, how am I going to play this? Like, <laughs> mom's mad. Dad seems mad. okay. And you just go home from work. Like you need to like pinpoint the right time to be like, Hey, by the way, can I please have a hundred dollars to go and do this thing? Yeah. Like the same goes for when you're going to meet somebody, walk up to somebody, ask for a meeting. Like, I think that there's so much, there's not enough emphasis, I think, put on emotional intelligence um, when it comes to networking and introducing yourself to people and just in business in general, really. Um, because you also don't want to come across arrogant. I think it's okay to be people. It's okay to be sweaty. Like, I'm a little bit sweaty right now. Like, it's fine to be nervous. It's fine to feel, you know, anxious and like you're awkward. Like, you can feel that way, but take a deep, as you were saying, take a deep breath, have your line that you're going to say and be like, be prepared a bit. So if you know that you turn into a sweaty, weird mess and you're going to, oh, I love your band, like know ahead of time yeah. what it is that you're going to say to Beyonce when you run into her, you know. Because It's like if you know what you're going to say and it goes well, there's a chance for a second meeting. Yeah. Whereas if you go in and just absolutely like fanboy, fangirl it. Yeah that's not going to happen again. It's going to be so awkward and they're going to be like, like, tell my people to never speak yeah. to her again. You know, it'll be like one of those. <laughs> well, you hear the security things. guard get called over and you're <laughs> escorted out. You get tackled to the <laughs> ground because you just completely freaked out. Yeah. I think, you know, read the room, take a breath and have, have your first couple of lines. I think the problem is as well, is that other people are letting you down. So when we get approached by someone, the, the first kind of thought, and it's not fair, but because everyone else has let you down, most people don't follow through with what they say. And the average podcast lasts seven episodes because that's how long it takes. So if we get asked to go on a podcast, I kind of want to know that it's past seven episodes because otherwise you can agree to these things and you're... So time is your most precious commodity more than anything else. And for busy busy business people that are where you want to be, like their time, that's what you have to respect more than anything. It's it's like I know people people get upset sometimes where they, they tell you their life story in an email and you just go, oh, thanks for sharing or whatever it is that you have time to quickly fire off. And they can get really upset by that. And then they sort of understand 10 years down the road, like when they're in the position where they wanted to get there, they're like, I totally get why you sent that one line email because you, you just don't have time yeah. to respond to everyone. For sure. Can we talk a little bit about BuzzFeed? Because yeah. that must have been quite an interesting time because you you were there right at the beginning of them starting out in the UK. And that was a that was a nine to five to you for you. But I would imagine it still had kind of like a startup feel to it. Yeah, yeah. So I joined um I was almost I think I got offered the job six years exactly today. Oh, um, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> memories. Um, it was on Facebook memories. That's why you remember it. I just, that's not just something oh, that well, works. Yeah. We were really impressed for a second. <laughs> yeah. I know, sorry. Killed the magic. Um, but yeah, no, I, I joined BuzzFeed um, six years ago. So when I joined, there was um, Scott Bryan and I started on the exact same day. So I like to say I was the seventh employee, but who knows who was seventh or eighth. Um, and it was, I remember, I mean, talk about being sweaty. Like, I was so nervous that first day because I started out as like homepage editor, which meant that I was going to do a 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift. I was the only person that would be looking over after the U.S. version of the website while they were asleep. So I was doing like breaking news 
in both countries and two homepages. Um, no casual. pressure. Then. No pressure at all. I remember Jonah Peretti came over to the UK and was on the Today program um, while I was editing the homepage. And I remember listening to it and just being like, do not fuck anything up. Because if they <laughs> mention it or they go to it and go, oh, this is a 404, you know. So I, it, was, it was a high pressure sort of situation. Um, but I just remember that walking into that room on my first day and they all were just like so cool and so smart and just like that like weird internet cool thing that I was just like oh my god I can't believe that I'm like in this room with you guys and it I mean I loved it there was a there was a really nice time period I think for probably like the first 18 months where things were just insane basically <laughs> like we we're hiring like crazy. People hated us at first. So anytime anyone said anything nice about us, it was like, well, hey, not everyone hates us. <laughs> why, um, why do people hate you? Oh, because, you know, this like dumb internet American thing coming over to the UK right. where, you know, media is serious and we have all these newspapers. The, the BBC. Yeah, exactly. Like everything, all the papers and everything over here are an institution and media is very old here. It's, you know, so having this dumb listicle thing come over here, uh, people didn't like it very much. Um, I can imagine that the media didn't like it, so they were probably quite vocal about how much they didn't like yeah, it with their for platforms. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> for, sure. for sure, yeah. So, I mean, it was it was crazy. I learned a lot, and then I got promoted to managing editor, I think about like nine or ten months in. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of changes there. I, lear I learned so much, and still that's one of the most innovative intelligent companies that I've had the pleasure of working for. I mean, they've certainly not got everything right. <laughs> um, it's not been a, a perfect situation for a lot of my, my colleagues there, but what I learned about, I hate to say what I learned about content, but like literally what I learned about content and how you approach, um, data and analytics and what that can tell you about, who your audience actually is and who is sharing things and how to get things to share in the way that they really um, were like pioneers in cross-platform um, distribution mm -hmm. um, and video. There's so many good things that they did that I don't think that they get enough um, positive recognition for. Um, their treatment of people, not great. <laughs> um, but it was a lot different when I was there. So I think I got the real... Um, kind of sweet spot of being this fresh, crazy startup that had a bunch of money um, and growing. I mean, when I was there, we went from seven to 74 people, I think, when I left in June 2016. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I really, really loved that job. Were you there when there were biscuits on the walls? When there, um, in the offices? Yeah, so... We painted those. <gasps> Did you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, that was... Um, that was so exciting. I remember. Yeah, it was hobnob and yeah. oh, people say bourbon. I bour, bur, I, say, I say I would say bourbon, but you would what would you call yeah, it? Bourbon. It's a bourbon, bourbon. biscuit. Yeah. yeah. I, if I say but, bourbon, that sounds. But bad. I'd say bourbon for the spirit. For the drink. Yeah. 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 So as you don't know, if someone says, "Do you want a bourbon?" I'd be like, "Yeah," and then I got a biscuit. I'd be really disappointed. Yeah. It's funny. Oh. There's a talk I do that that still has one of those images because we must have painted them like three yeah, or four years like, ago, I guess. It, yeah, a tea cake with a jam. Yeah, yeah. yes. But that, yeah, I still put that in uh, one of my slides on on a talk that I give, and uh, I pretty much always say like, you know, you've got the best job in the world when you get to paint a bourbon onto the wall. It's yes. like, <laughs> no, I love that. You can still see 
from you the road. You can still see from the road yeah. on Argyle Street. You can see the little corner of the hobnob. Yeah, there. every time I go down, I'm like, I did yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> so yeah, I think I cried in all those meeting rooms, but anyway. <laughs> Actually not because of the biscuits. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I was just filled with, you know, I was like, these are so beautiful. And then just tear up like a little bit every time. Um, when did uh, the decision to move on come? Was it all getting a bit too intense? There were a lot of changes. There was, uh, we had a new editor. We had uh, sort of a new focus on news. They were taking that very seriously. Um, and it, everything just changed. And the way that my personal job was going, I didn't really have anywhere to grow into. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really ambitious in jobs like that. I like to kind of learn everything I can, do it okay. And then I want the next promotion and the next thing. And I want, you know, more responsibility and, that was kind of how I would function. And that's how I've always kind of functioned when I've been an employee. And then I just kind of plateaued and was like, okay, this is not what it was when I first joined. I don't really see where I can go from here. So um, I wasn't actively looking, but then I was approached um, about a startup called Drive Tribe that was founded by the ex-Top Gear presenters. Wouldn't be a natural next move, (laughs) that face 100%. Um, And I was like, well, I don't, like I used to watch Top Gear, but I don't know anything about cars and I don't have a driver's license in this country. So, and they were like, no, 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 we want somebody who can, you know, build an editorial team. Uh, So I was like, well, I know how to do that. Um, And they were going to pay me well. And I was like, well, these guys, even if they're assholes, um, have an amazing audience I use amazing, not about the audience maybe, but rather about the numbers, a yes. very large audience. How about that? And was just like, okay, you know, and I was going to be a director. So I was like, okay, cool. And so I went there and I would sit in boardrooms with Jeremy Clarkson. Um, and I was the only female director there. And it was interesting, super interesting. Um, it was It was hard work, but mainly it was just like, dealing with people's egos and the yeah it was just it was hard work Mm -hmm. right but about like two months in I got an email from Google that was like hey we know you just started a new job but we have this other job would you be interested and I was like "Uh, okay uh sure I feel like if Google emails you you should probably go for a meeting um so I spent like the majority of my time at Drive Tribe interviewing at Google (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so I left I was only at Drive Tribe for about five months um but it was interesting from the standpoint of running an editorial team um in a tech company where you know at BuzzFeed there were two maybe three developers in our office and the rest were journalists Mm -hmm. and then uh going someplace where you have like five journalists and about 40 people that are engineers or UX designers um so that was really good experience um and kind of prepped me well uh to go to Google so you, you hopped around, then you ended up at the pool, which kind of famously just... <laughs> it went really well. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, kind of crumbled. And was, like did that come out of the blue? Was that, or was the writing on the wall? Was that a pun? What? Out of the blue pool. Oh, uh, that was good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was so bad. <laughs> um. It was terrible, but uh-huh. like, yeah. Um, out of the blue... Uh, it more so I would describe it as a, a snowball, right? Like it, it snowballed. It was um, really difficult, 
And I mean, for those people who don't know <laughs> what happened, um, so the pool was a online magazine uh, founded by Lauren Laverne and Sam Baker. Um, I think they founded it in 2014, 2015. Um, so they were about three years in and brought me on as the new editor this time last this is an interesting time for me yeah so I think it was last year September 3rd was like my first day and I was to be the new editor I was the new editor I was the new editor-in-chief and we had really big plans for 2019 that was going to be our year and um I I paid everyone really well and and kind of different to most publications in that they were actually trying to pay their writers yeah exactly exactly and our freelance fees um when they were paid, um, were pretty good. Um, like I was literally only there from September to January, um, officially until March, but like the amount of work that I actually was able to do there was very limited because, um, yeah, when I, when I got there and I, I mean, it was like, I don't like the phrase dream job, but like that was my dream job. I had been in tech for the last couple of years and I fucking hated it. And I was just so excited because this was, I respected Sam and Lauren so much and the writing there was so good and it had such a fantastic reputation. And to then like wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm the editor of the pool was just like such a fantastic feeling. And I was so mm-hmm. pleased because I had such a hard time at Google as well. Um, so yeah, so when I got there, there was like a narrative of how things were supposed to be going and they made all these new hires and there was like a new CEO and, oh, we have new funding and all of this. And then when I got there, there was a disparity between the narrative that I was being told and the sort of feeling in the room and like little, now that I know we're like big giant red flags (laughs) at the time did not, it was like, oh, there's been an admin error here. Okay. Oh, there's a situation with this accountant. Okay, cool. That's fine. We can deal with this. Oh, I have some personnel issues happening. Okay. Let me sort this out. Okay. Like it was never like, Hey, come in and just like do your job. The plan that you put together that they hired you to implement, it was like fighting fires immediately. So, uh, but the problem is, is that I did not know the sort of financial backstory that was the cause for a lot of the fires that I was trying to put out. Um, a lot of those fires unhelpfully happened on Twitter, but also, you know, rightfully, I think, you know, freelancers not getting paid this bullshit, you yeah. know? And so I'm glad that the people that called me out, I know that cause they weren't really calling me out like they were, but I yeah. was just like the face of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they'd be like, Hey, at Kate Sevilla, what the fuck? made. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, so like that wasn't fun, but at the time, like, so that was like October time. It kind of first kicked off. I was like, how did you deal with those, those online negative comments? Um, I mean, obviously you know that they're not about you, but still no, there's it was, all this. I mean, it was hard. I mean, the dumbest thing about it too is that the first time it kind of all kicked off, it was Halloween, and I came into the office dressed as um, Villanelle from Killing Eve, and I did some really great like bruises on my face. I was so proud, like I like had the makeup kit and like a still from the show, and I was like doing it. So I looked horrendous. Like I feel like I've seen the picture on your Instagram. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, it looks really good, but yeah. like it was not. So I come into work. I, I look like I've had the shit beaten out of me by a bunch of angry freelancers. By a bunch of angry freelancers, and then yeah. So I was like in the office, like dealing with that. But um, so my my approach to it was just like, yeah, this is 
fucked up. And like, I couldn't be mad at the people that were angry because they had every right to be angry. Mm -hmm. The thing that made me really upset was that I didn't know what was going on. And I kicked off internally and was like, we have to take care of this. You know, this is destroying our reputation. And that's like all we have. And particularly when it's a women's publication, people expect better. All like even looking at like feminist icons and celebrities, like they want everything to be perfect. They want you to be unproblematic and to do everything right because you have the spotlight, you have this opportunity to do it correctly. And so I feel like some of that energy was placed on the pool. Like you guys write about, you know, women's rights and equality and doing better and being better all the time. And why are you not being better? Um, so that was really hard. Um, kind of like fair point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, we fucking should be better. Like, I don't know. Talk to the men that are in charge of the money here. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was that sort of feeling around everything, but my kind of what I learned at Google and dealing with some really, um, intense situations just with my own manager and stuff was like, I learned that just being honest is the best thing that you can kind of ever do. You do, I, I find that if you want to try to play some political game and act a certain way because you think that that's going to influence someone this way or if I behave this way, it'll signal to them that I am this and then they will do this and then this thing that I want will happen. That generally does not happen. I find that just being honest about how you're feeling to a point, right? Because there has to be um, some containment of things and psychological safety and all of that. But being as honest as you can is really important. So that was the kind of approach that I took, particularly when everything first kicked off um, in October of last year. And then when everything truly went to shit in January of 2019, um, that was still the same sort of feeling behind everything was, I'm just going to be transparent. I'm going to be honest. It's, it's such a good policy. I mean, well, it's the well. best policy. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> and I, I used to do this thing of when, so if, say we're like, we're like clearing up for a job or something and I'm the only one doing anything and everyone's standing out around having a chat. What I used to do is I, I would be like, <laughs> this really like passive aggressive thing. I would be like, I'm going to tidy up so furiously that everyone <laughs> notices me tidying up and then they will come and help. So I would be like storming from point A to point B and putting the things in the thing and really getting everything. Yeah, them. and get yeah. while everyone stood around and had a chat. Mm-hmm. And after that not working for about six years, <laughs> I then thought maybe there's another way to do this. And it is, it's just that honesty. And you just go to people, oh, do you want to give me a hand like putting all this paint in these suitcases? And then people go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And it's problem solved. So, Six yeah. years, huh? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe longer. I mean, pro- I probably worked that out maybe last year. So we'll say eight years of me of me doing that. I, I really just thought it's kind of that, I, I always want everything to be fair. I want like, like, look, I'm doing this. Yeah. Like, you and should also, do that too. And also, isn't it obvious? Can't yeah. you see me? Am I not here So I just struggling? made it as obvious as possible, but no yeah. one fucking saw it. It's just like... No. Yeah. Evan just found it hilarious that he was stomping around the place. He's like, doing oh, it again. he seems pissed off again. <laughs> He's doing that thing where he just really loves to tidy. Like, that's the thing is that you never know. Like, you truly don't know what's going on with people. Like, that sounds like a bad Instagram quote, and I'm sure that it is, but, like, you don't know... What's don't know happening? My struggle, Kate. You don't know people's struggle, but like for real, also like you don't. <laughs> so like it makes it makes things like being honest and communicating like so much better. Like for example, if you know that a company is in you know 
financial downward spiral, maybe say something. I don't know. But um, yeah, honesty, man. So this left you in a... Shit pile. (laughs) of Yeah. And instead of thinking okay well onto onto the job search ads onto like contacting all my all my contacts and saying oh have you got any spaces going or wherever mm. how most people get their jobs you decided to go freelance again yeah as i had mentioned i had had a, a interesting time uh, at google and that's not just like off the company in general just the the team that i was on and it was not right for me um and the position was not right for me so I had had a, like a whole journey with, with that emotionally. And like the prize at the end of it was supposed to be the pool. (laughs) So when that just went wrong in every possible way, I mean, it was, I mean, I, thank God I was already in therapy at the time because trying to deal with that and like the sort of public downfall, my own personal disappointment and anger at stuff. And then my poor team and then all the freelancers that I knew, it was a lot to kind of take on, uh, emotionally and psychologically. Um, so when it became clear that it was donezo and was, I was not going to see anywhere near the amount of money that I was owed. Um, I was like, okay, what is it that I want to do? Um, and that was a question that I asked myself a lot when I was at Google was, okay, what is it that I actually want to be doing? And at the time it was, oh, I want to go back into into media properly, into publishing properly. And I would love to work for a woman-owned company. And I like wrote those down. There's like four or something in the UK that I yeah. that would have worked for me that I could have actually got a job at, right? Um, and the pool was on that list. So then after that ended... It was like, okay, well... Hey, I'm a woman. I can have a company. (laughs) Well, I mean, God, not even that. Like, it was very much like, what do I have this sort of energy and psychological, like, capacity for? Because, honestly, the thought of going and getting another job... Like, I could have. Like, I had offers, which was, you know, very kind of people. But, like, I didn't want it. And I don't want it now because... It sounds like the experiences you've had up to that point haven't been great. So it's like odds are that might happen again. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, if I'm already feeling like this, do I really like want to take that into another job? Like I didn't have any of that sort of drive that you need to have when you go into a corporate environment or you take on a new team or like I'd get people saying things to me like, well, this is a new role that's never existed before. And honestly, I was like, that's probably the worst thing you could have ever said to me. Um, Because whereas before that would sound really exciting and, oh, you can carve this out for yourself and, you know, really make a mark on this company. Instead, I know that that means you're going to be fighting with internal stakeholders all of the fucking time and proving your existence and why this role should ever even work. And all like, and a lot of times that's how it works with digital editorial roles in bigger companies, even print companies. Like you're constantly, constantly fighting for budget, for headcount. Um, for, you know, assets from the print team, like constant fighting. And I'm like, I've done so much fighting that I know that for the majority of these roles that I've been offered, like that's all I'm going to be doing. And the stuff that I actually enjoy is going to make up a very small amount of my day-to-day job, particularly at the level that I am now. I can't just go and write I can't be like, can you pay me what I should be paid? But also, can I just maybe like write a thing like every once in a while? Like that doesn't exist. Um, So I really was like, okay, well, what do I want to do? And what I really want to do is, is to write. Um, And 
I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to make a podcast and put myself out there and create because that's what I first did when I kind of moved here. And I moved away from that for various reasons that I'm, I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the time that I had, like being an employee and working at various companies. But I stopped creating and being creative. And so I was like, okay, that's the thing that I want to do. And I know on my insides, like, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing that is going to make, you know, kind of all of this count <laughs> and to make me want to get up every morning and go and do something like it's it's everything isn't it yeah. i mean we we've we talk a lot about the guests that we've had on this show like every single one of them has carved their own path to happiness they've designed their own their own life of of like what what gets me out of bed in the morning and it feels like you're a little bit of ahead of your time with bitch buzz yeah that the internet wasn't really in the place where it could sustain people like it can now. Yeah. And now is the perfect time. You're just like, you're just coming into it at, the, at this point where, what do I like to do? I can do that now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And no, absolutely. And thank you for saying that. Yeah. Like I, I do think it was ahead of its time. And I think some, a lot of the things that I wanted to do were just a bit too far ahead of where the kind of reality of the industry yeah. was. Um, so now it was like, okay, well, <laughs> I want to write, what does that look like? And particularly, I just lost my job and we lost, you know, half of our income and I'm lucky enough, lucky enough to have a mortgage and a dog. So I need to keep her, you know, bougie waitress food on the table for my little pup. So how are we going to make that happen? And like, I wish that I could go... And then the clients just came rolling in <laughs> for my little consultancy business. And really? Then it doesn't, it doesn't it's happen like weirdly, that? It doesn't fucking work like that. No. So um, it, was a, it was just a really like, expo- this whole year has just been so exposing and just all about like my own vulnerability and what it is that I want and how do I actually do that every single day and not go, fuck it, I'm just going to go get a job because I just want that healthcare plan or I just want that sweet salary again or that bonus. Like, I'm having to go, no, you can't have that right now. That's that's not for you. You had that. And remember that how miserable you were? Didn't go like, well, yeah. That didn't go so well for you, hun. So, yeah, so I made the decision like, okay, right. I'm right. <laughs> hey, um, I want to write a book. And I know that that's not exactly going to have me rolling in cash anytime soon. So then also, what can I do with my skills um, that can make me money, but not make me want to die every day? So uh, I decided to, uh, I don't want to say like launch a consultancy business, even though that is what it is. That's not necessarily how it feels. Like I didn't have the energy to be like, right, this is its name and this is our logo and here's our website. I was just like, okay, it's just going to be me and I have some good contacts. So if I can approach people and then get recommendations for content strategy or even just going into your newsroom and being like, what is this? Let me help you with your operation side of things and uh, your sort of processes, because I think a lot of places really struggle with editorial process and structure. Um, there's a lot that I can do because I've worked at so many and done so many batshit things <laughs> that I have really interesting experience. So um, it kind of took me a few months to kind of figure out, okay, how is this going to kind of work and who could I work for? Um, but yeah, I kind of announced it in like April. And it's funny because like I'd start talking to people and they'd be like, well, who else have you worked for? And I'm like, 
Well, I just started. So in the past, I've done all of these other things, but I'm sorry, I don't have like a huge thing of like, I've worked for these people and these people yet. Um, But yeah, no, it's, it's like, it's, it feels like I saw a GIF on Twitter that someone, it was like, what does freelancing feel like? And it was like a train on a track that was in a circle and, uh, before it looked like it would fall off the track and then they just like put a little bit of it down every time and take one off and put it down. And and that's 100% what it feels like. It feels like, how am I going to do this? Is this going to work? Like, am I going to make any money next month? And then that's been the feeling for like the last few months, but I have made money and it's been fine for the last few months. I've been like, is this just, is this just it? Like, yes, it is. is this just <laughs> it constantly? Um, and it, it is. And I've kind of had to go, okay, well, as long as you're doing everything that you know that you should be doing. So that's for me, my natural in- inclination is to like want to wake up and then go back to sleep and then maybe watch some Netflix and maybe like eat a pizza and like maybe go back to bed. Like that would be like my natural state. And I have to like fight against that like every single day, <laughs> every single hour to be like, no, 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 <laughs> we're going to meet some people today and we're going to reach out to this person and get back to this person. I've just had to constantly make sure that I'm doing that so I know that if I'm putting in the work and I'm doing all the hard uncomfortable things like the work will come because it has come this isn't the last job um so it's just been kind of that uh for the last few months really yeah it's been like that for the last nine years for us so it yeah it's that's just how it is and I think you learn to you learn to fall in love with it and the process and when you always have I mean Adam's never had a proper job but I, but I've had a few, and I'm sorry. well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, so in a sense, I've never had a proper job. I've never had a proper full time job. Mm. Um, I I experienced enough in part time jobs to realise that don't get into the full time because that's a sticky trap and you'll never get out of it again. So I I was always very careful not to. I I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I always made sure that I wouldn't get into a full time job because I would see people at places that I was working who were. 15 years 20 years in and just stuck completely stuck in that Mm -hmm. monotonous like this is this is just what it is every day and I could tell that they weren't happy and through time it's proved that I was right because all of my friends who took the the safe standard nine to five jobs for a paycheck have now got a lot more money than I have and are fucking miserable so I will take that over any like salary that any kind of tech company or startup or bank or whatever wants to offer me, not startup, but um, whatever any company wants to offer me, I will always take the this road. Um, and I think that's that's great. I think it's good, like because it's happiness, and that's what we should be it looking is. for. And I I think like I was good at it. I was good at the nine to five. Like I'm excellent at running teams. Like. If there's a boss to please, I will try my fucking damnedest to make Mm -hmm. them think, give me five out of five stars. Like that is, there's that part of my brain that really liked that and needed that, but (laughs) at the cost of literally everything else. So I think that, you know, and I would get really irritated because I knew a lot of freelancers and a lot of people who like ran their own businesses when I was in a nine to five and they'd be like, oh, well you know, no one's happy. Everyone hates that. And I'd be like, well, fuck you. You know, this is what I have to do. And a lot of times it is, I have to do this because I'm stuck or I have a family or whatever. And I think that there are plenty of people that are, are perfectly happy doing that. Yeah, sure. We are just not those people. Yeah. And I, it took me a really long time to finally go, 
oh, I'm just not like, I just, I can't. And like, I was in an office, um, earlier this week, no one will know what week it is, um, (laughs) earlier this week. And I remember just listening to stuff and it gave me like, like a twitch. I was like, oh, oh yeah, I fucking hate this. Like I can do it. Like I can go in and work in an office for a couple of days for a job or whatever. And just be like, okay, cool. But after that, I'm like, okay. And it's just been a really hard thing to kind of reconcile because there is that sort of crazy part of my brain that like wants it and wants that sort of like approval of being hired and having a team that thinks you're cool and you're doing good and you have your report and it says that you did a good job and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm doing a good job. So I've had to kind of go, that's not real. <laughs> that's not what actually makes you happy. And you can get that sort of job satisfaction doing other things. Are you happier now? So much happier. I mean, I, the majority of this year didn't really enjoy it. I think, uh, just in the last kind of month, to be honest, um, I went on holiday, so that helped, Mm -hmm. but I realized I was like, Oh, this feels like I feel better. Cause I think it just took a while to kind of get used to this new thing that I was doing. And there was so many question marks around like, Am I going to be able to write a book? Am I going to be able to, you know, get any clients in? Am I going to be able to make this work? And I wanted it to work immediately. I wanted like a month in to know, okay, well, this is how much money I'm making in Q2 and Q3. And that's just not how it works. So I had to learn patience. I think that's a huge thing. Patience Patience is massive because I think a lot of people will just look at the biggest, like the number one people in all of their fields and just be like, well, they're there. I'm here. I need to work ridiculously hard to get to exactly where they are, but they might have been doing it for like 40 years Exactly. and realizing that that's not going to happen for mm-hmm. 40 years, maybe 30 if you do it really quick and work really hard. But it's like, have that patience, take the time. As long as you put in all your effort every day and don't just burn out and like you will grow. You can't not like, as long as you're putting your effort into something that's forwarding your business. If every day is just like a little bit towards the, your overall goal, you're going to get there. And as long as your product's good, jobs will come in. No, absolutely. And I think also if you idolize people too much, like that person already exists. Yeah. That person is already a thing. You are not that thing. You can be the next thing or or maybe the third thing because maybe it'll take you a a bit longer to get there and that's fine. And I think also kind of um, de-emphasizing Um, age with everything. I think that there's a lot more conversations happening around failure, like with Elizabeth Day's podcast and book, which is amazing. Um, And also just people, I think there's a stronger narrative now around like this person did this when they were 53. And did you know that this, the whole 30 under 30 thing, like I fucking can't like, and it was hard when I was under 30 to be like, why am I not on any of these fucking lists (laughs) ever? Not once have I been on one of these lists. And you know what? That's fucking fine because they don't mean anything. Don't I mean, mean even the anything. people who have, I know who have been on those lists go, it's, it, it's nice, you know, for the day on Twitter when it's announced, but kind yeah. of after that, it's just kind of like, eh, it doesn't, you know, make you actually happy. Yeah. It doesn't um, mean there's only 30 people in the world who are going to succeed. No. It's like, like with music, it's like, there's not one band. There's not no. one like, so feel so like who's just going to dominate yes. everything. And I, it's something for everyone. And yeah, I think, that sort of, uh, I, I hope that we are moving, I mean, the corporations will fight against this, but like, I hope that we are moving to a place where culturally we can sustain like 
having a smaller band that just has like a really intense following yeah. and they can somehow make a living from that. Yes. Like not everything has to be like this big blockbuster. Like yeah. it's like the system doesn't work that way. I think there are pockets of it that, that do, but I just hope that we are able to have more niche things. Like I've been completely devastated by the TV show, the OA being canceled. And I think that's a really good example of like a brilliant, beautiful, wonderful thing that's created by a man of color and a woman. Like, that are telling different stories that was then canceled by Netflix despite having two really good seasons. Mm. We don't know the figures because they never announce what they are. They never disclose, right? But what you see now is this kind of like intense fandom of people who are not in the millions, but are so passionate. And even like Shonda Rhimes and Malcolm Gladwell are like, we love this show. Like, why have you done this? Yeah. Like, the it's not the numbers. It's the who who is it and what the feeling is around it. Yeah. And I know there's money and it's complicated it's so complicated and I don't know what the answer is but I just hope that we are creatively into a better cultural space one day that kind of allows okay you don't have to have two million it's not even two million anymore it's like you need to have like millions of Instagram yeah, yeah. followers for people to be like yes but who are they like that's not how shit works like and not all those people are gonna buy things necessarily <sighs> I'm ranting now but you it's know. <laughs> completely true. It kind of comes to the like thousand true fans idea. Is if you've got a thousand people who genuinely believe in you and like would purchase from you, that can keep you that keeps you going. Like yeah. you don't need to run a corporation that earns millions. You just need to earn a corporation that pays enough for you to survive, mm. and that's fine. That's yeah. good as long as you're happy. You don't need to conquer the world. You just need to like. I think there's a stat of like too many people who just like want to be a millionaire. Whereas if you just earn a hundred thousand, you're still in like the top zero point one percent in the world. Right. And that's like not that unachievable. Yeah. Yeah. The world, everything is niche now. It's like I stumble across someone who's got like just an absolutely gigantic following who I've never heard of in my life. And before, like when I was growing up, it was like everyone knew who everyone was yeah. that you would go, Oh, that's, that's Madonna. She's number one in the charts. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and that's a famous football player or whatever. And it's like, it's now whatever you're into, like there's, there's gamers, for example, let's talk about something that I really know not much about at all. Gamers, like there'll be, there's pocket, there's um, like people on Twitch who are, mm -hmm. there's a million people viewing them every single night. And, and like multi million pound deals. And I have never heard of them yeah. in my entire life and, and probably never will hear yeah. of them. And they, to, to like to five million people, they worship the ground that they walk on, they think they're the best thing. And they're, 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 they're pop stars. Yeah. And that's just the world that we're going into. So it's all about just getting that finding your tribe and getting them around you, getting your ecosystem yeah. filled with the people that are going to support you and your ideas. Yeah, I suppose when we were younger, there was like four channels on TV. The gatekeepers. Like, yeah, and it's like that would be what you watch to get your content mm -hmm. from, whereas now every single page on Instagram is a different channel with a different set of content provided by millions of billions of, of channels now yeah, yeah. Where the choice is just is just overwhelming of, of how much we can choose and you find yeah. what you like and you stick with it yeah yeah, yeah which is exactly. great that means everyone has a chance everyone has a shot yeah, yeah. And, and even like with the tv thing it's just look at something like youtube it's like my like curated tv that i watch every day is from maybe like six channels that most people will have never heard of and most people i meet will never ever a hitter of them but to me that's what i watch every single day and there's millions of people who do watch that as well but they're 
like you rarely meet them every now and again you do and you're like oh that's great you know yeah. who this person is yeah and I love that's the best feeling like so I when I was younger I was like obsessed with Hanson super cool <laughs> and um, and it was the like they sold millions and they were very popular, but also everyone hated them. So I was like in this like very like it felt very niche, you know, in Elk Grove, California, where I knew like two other people who really loved them as well. And it was that was the best. It's the feeling of being seen and recognized and that connection over something that you love is just so exciting. And back then it was like you'd have to like go get like some like random teen magazine to like get a picture of them because we didn't have the Internet yet, yeah. you know. Um, and the fact that people have that on such a large Large scale and there's just so many niches is wonderful. I'm like it's scary and overwhelming, and you can look at the dark side of it. Like people are more disconnected than ever before, or whatever. But bottom line, if you can find your sort of group of people and yeah. connect over something that you love, that's so uh, oh, that's the best. Yeah, because I feel like, like we're fortunate. We live in London, so I feel like no matter what you're into, yeah. you can probably find people who are into totally. the same. But if you're from like a small town. You might be the only person in that whole town who listens to that kind of music. Yeah. And you've got no one that you can hang out with unless you go to a, get a train to a gig in another town and finally there's some more people that are like you. Yeah. Whereas now So if you yeah, if you were the only goth in in your tiny little town in yeah. in 2004, you were in trouble. But yeah. now you can be the only goth anywhere, and you'll find other goths online. Loads to hang of out goths with. online to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and tough. even if that doesn't make your everyday life in when you're offline. Just so your life, um, that might not make that easier. But the point is, is that you can then connect with other. And people. I think as well, there's there's a phrase that I love, which is you are the CEO of your own life, because we always sort of go, oh well, oh, I'd love to do that, but I can't. But at the end of the day, you are the ultimate decision maker, and if you want to move, you can just you can move. There's so much talk, I think, about self-care at the moment, which is good, but I think the conversation is shifting into resilience, which I am much more comfortable kind of like mm. talking about because I think, yes, there's self-care, but uh, sometimes you do need to just you need to go to your friend's party. There's always that example yes. of like, if you don't want to go, you can just say no. And doesn't it just feel so good to say no and just stay home? Like, yes, sometimes, but maybe like for some flatmates, friends party, maybe not like your best friend, unless there's like a serious mental health thing happening. Sure. But a lot of times you kind of have to force yourself to do things. And I've been thinking about this a lot. It's so true. Hey, you just, you just have to, it's like, sometimes the universe helps you out. Like, you know, the job that you love being ripped out from underneath you and, you know, not paying you for four months. Um, I never would have started to work for myself again. I never would have decided to write a book. I just would not have done that stuff because I would have had my cozy salary and my day to day. And it would have felt that gulf to kind of leap over it would have felt way too wide and way too. I'm so risk averse. It, there's just no way. The thought of just not having a salary would be like, Oh, and absolutely not, you know, but instead that happened, it happened. And I, I'm glad that I made the decision to just lean into the risk. Oh God, I said lean in, but, <laughs> but, but that I leaned into the risk and was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And 
to be honest, the sort of when you hear a lot of these stories of and then I just decided to launch my own company that people aren't honest about what that actually right. looks like. And the fact that a lot of them are like funded like by their parents or whatever. But like, <laughs> crucially, the sort of the messy parts in between, like, to be clear, this year has been incredibly fucking messy for me. Like, my output has been good. What I've actually done is good, but, like, all the fucking crazy shit that's had to happen, like, just in my own head to make those things happen is hard. And I like when people are honest about that. And it's like I went to a talk, um, Elizabeth Gilbert, and she said, you know, the first thing that I do every morning is I wake up and I go... Oh fuck! <laughs> and and she man she spends a lot of her day managing her own mental health to be able to do what it is that she does. So I think it is a fine balance of looking after yourself and finding what it is that you absolutely have to do to look after yourself, even if that stuff fucking sucks. Like who actually likes to go to the gym? If you're one of those people who just like loves it, fucking good for you. But like I don't. I do it anyway. Not as often as I should, but like. I do those things because I know that if I want to be able to handle all of this other stuff that I really want to do, like I just figured this out this like last weekend because I was like, (laughs) why do I feel fucking crazy? And I was like, oh, it's because I've not been doing the stuff that I know I have to do in order to take care of myself, in order to take on all of these other projects and all these other things that I have going on in my life. You have to do the uncomfortable, painful shit. You just have to, or else the magical stuff that you see on Instagram is never going to fucking happen. Mm. Oh my God. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Because now that thousands of people listen to this podcast, I feel like we have a responsibility to them. So I've kind of clammed up every time that anything kind of mental health related has come up because those are my exact thoughts Mm. there's there's a podcast i listen to called impact theory and they have um, a t-shirt that across it says ttfub which stands for toughen the fuck up buttercup and (laughs) and i i kind of love that of like yeah you do have to toughen up sometimes and don't use I feel sad because we all feel fucking sad. Right? Like, but We're then, alive. Again, We're sad. I see my responsibility just kicked in. It's like, don't make the person who's listening to this that feels sad feel even more fucking sad, no, which is what I never right want now, to do. So. <laughs> but like, I just think if you use if you use your sadness as an excuse to not do the things that need to get done, like, uh, I, I think the word burnout is so overused. Like, yes, you can get burnt out, but do you know how fucking hard it is to burn yourself out? You have to do so much. And like a couple of days of hard work does not burn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. you're not burnt out. You're just yeah. fucking lazy. Oh, yeah. I'm really, like, you've set me off now. <laughs> you're now, you're like, on it. I'm on it. You're but, on fire. But like, you've got to do the work. That's where the fun happens. Like doing the work is the good part. Like if you're always focusing on the reward, then the work will always be shit. And then, and then when the rewards come, it will last for a little bit and then you'll go back to the shit. And it's just this, like this horrible cycle. It's the resilience thing, right? So yes, if you are clinically depressed or are going through a really, really difficult episode with whatever kind of mental health diagnosis or whatever that you have going on. Yes, that is, like that is not what we we're talking about. So I don't want people to be like, but hey, it's like, no, that's not that's yeah. not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about sort of your everyday, even if you're kind of going through a hard time. So even though I was not depressed this year, I was like in a depressive state. There are different things. I'm in psychotherapy. I have been for years. Like that's how we talk in psychotherapy. But like I was not in a happy zone. I was yeah. like 
I was sad. I had grief for the things that I had lost. I felt like shit. Like, it was just not pleased with life in general, even though I had this opportunity to do something really cool. So it's like, that's where the resilience part of it kicks in, where it's like, okay, well, Kate, you could sit here and just hang out with your dog and watch TV and not do anything and ignore that request you had to go on whatever radio program and, you know, not do this thing like for self care. But for me, it's not self care. That would be self indulgence yeah. and just letting my anxiety win. And I don't like to think of mental health stuff as being a win, a battle, all of that. But sometimes it can fucking feel like that, right? So it's, I know that I have to kind of toughen up buttercup some days and just get on with it. And like, if that means you need to cry throughout the whole thing, then you cry throughout the whole thing. Cause no matter what you will feel better once you've taken care of the things that you know that you need to take care of. Where can people find you online, Kate? On Twitter. I am at Kate Sevilla. So that's S E V I L L A and the same on Instagram. And I have a website, katesevilla.com. You do, and I actually have written down in my notes, right? Oh, that image. No, no, just oh. in my notes, right at the bottom there, that, that last line. Really good website, Squarespace. <laughs> also a little help for my partner, to be honest. <laughs> no, it's a really great website. Thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya. See ya.